Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From Brevity Studios in New Zealand. I'm Ryan Wolf, and this is Guilt. On the last episode of Guilt, who killed Jordan Vidori? Yeah. Uh, one of the coincidences, when she was kicked in the stomach, it was quite a big kick as well. Um, she didn't know at the time that she was actually pregnant. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Um, Olive's now eight, of course. But the weird thing was, later on, uh, and I think it was after the birth, that um, found out that they called it Operation Olive, the police. Huh. Wow. And she named her daughter Olive, and that was way before any influence. They'd had that name chosen. Um, but, yeah, it freaked me out a little bit, and I was... Like, as soon as I heard about the armed hold-ups, I was like, what the fuck? acted so sus last night. He'd never acted like that before. Never. Um, was it him? And then having the detectives ring me, I was just like, what the fuck? Once again, thanks for your continued support and spreading the word. Episode 4 blew all of our download records out of the park. So one more time, thank you. And for that, today, you're being rewarded. I've been working my butt off, and I'm proud to give you two new episodes to binge. I hope you enjoy. Let's get into it. In episode four, I examined in depth the armed robberies that took place on the same morning as Jordan's murder. What I found are a lot of coincidences that are very difficult to look past, and could point towards these men having some involvement in Jordan's murder. However, I also found some inconsistencies, like the rifle used in Jordan's murder, and the weapons apparently used in the armed robberies not matching. Personally, I still think this line of inquiry needs to be investigated further, and I am. But at this point, until I have more solid evidence to present, I'm going to move on to another key player in this case, Gareth. If you'll recall... The first time I heard Gareth's name was in episode 2, when I met antique store owner Viv Leonard. Has anybody mentioned Gareth Carey? Not yet, no. guy who had a ponytail, he'd come down from Auckland, and apparently he got mixed up with the triads in Auckland, and Jordan rescued him, what got him down to Pyre, and he worked for Jordan, and I think he stayed there with him for a while until he got a flat. And um, Jordan had given him the sack, booted him out, and... Strangely enough, on the night of the murder, he was working. 
So and it was like, really, what? Mm. And then a lady who went in there for dinner that night um, took her husband in there and she introduced him to Jordan. <clears throat> and he said Jordan was visibly not um, himself really that night. And he said the guy out in the kitchen was throwing stuff around and, you know, there was obviously something going on. If you'll recall, in episode three when I spoke to Linda, she made a comment about a French guy and the fact that Jordan and him drank and argued a lot. I actually said to him, uh, uh, do you like women or do you like men? <laughs> and he said, oh, woman. He said, I, I see the ladies of the night or something in Auckland. <laughs> because he had a, a French guy there, quite a nice-looking blonde guy, Yeah, which, which disappeared. I'd never seen him. He just disappeared. Oh, yeah. um, him and Jordan used to have arguments out the back, and that's when I thought, you know, and they get on the drink. I've confirmed that Jordan definitely never had anyone French working for him, and that this man Linda is referring to was in fact Gareth. Perhaps to Linda, the long blonde hair gave him a bit of a foreign European look. It's clear that he's important. If Jordan and Gareth did argue a lot, and he disappeared straight after Jordan's death, then there are questions that need to be answered. However, straight off the bat, finding him or people that knew anything about him has proven difficult. It seems he hadn't long lived in Paidoa, having moved down from Auckland to work for Jordan, and as such, didn't appear to have many friends locally. However, I eventually received a call with a number for Paul Kemp. Apparently Gareth was living with him at the time of Jordan's murder. Initially I interviewed Paul over the phone, but the audio quality was terrible, so I arranged to meet him in Paidoa where we did a formal interview. We meet Paul and two friends by the giant LMP bottle, and decide to relocate to a quiet reserve on the other side of town. Today's interview room? My car. Paul is tall and middle-aged, super friendly and genuine. The kind of person that immediately puts you at ease. Paul was the first to admit during our phone interview that he's been through some dark patches in the past, and you can see he's lived a tough life. A number of years ago, he was nearly killed during a vicious, unprovoked attack. While he was fortunate enough to survive, he did receive significant facial injuries, and even though they aren't physically obvious... It has impacted his speech, so he may sound slightly muffled at times. As a result of my earlier phone interview, Paul had already let me know a few of the key points, so you may hear me prompting some of these during this live interview. One important reason why I'd struggled to track Gareth down up until this point was the name. Viv had told me Gareth Carey, but Paul pointed out on the phone that his name was actually Gareth Smith. Obviously, I've heard a lot of rumour and stuff around town about Gareth, and there's certainly some odd things about sort of what happened. So, um, yeah, if you could, let's go back to that um, that day, what you can remember, he came home from work that day, you guys had a few beers and stuff. So, yeah, just talk me through what you can remember of what happened that day. Well, yeah, well, well I was just sitting at home. He'd been at work, obviously, you know, and um, he finished. Um... I'm trying to think exactly what time it was, really. It was about 10 o'clock-ish, half past 10, somewhere around there that he actually walked in at home. And, um, yeah, he just had, he had some beers with him and a few pizzas. So we just, you know, we had a, had a feed and had a few beers and chilled out 
for a couple of hours it would have been probably about midnight I crashed out I'd had you know I'd had enough by that stage you know and um, basically the next thing I knew after that because he went to bed as well and the next thing I knew was my um, daughter's boyfriend knocking on the door at like quarter past seven in the morning waking us up to tell us what had happened to Jordan he said oh he said it's Gareth here and I go yeah and he said well um, he said um Jordan's been killed, you know, like, there's cops everywhere, you know, it's crazy down down the road, he said, you know, better let them know what's going on, you know, yep. being, being his former boss and that, and um, so I woke him up and told him what was going on, and he literally, he just put his shoes on, clothes and shoes on, and gapped it. Just to clarify, when Paul says gapped it, he means Gareth took off running towards Jordan's pizza shop, Mykonos. I asked how Gareth looked at the time. He was horrified, man. You know, like it was Jordan. He he wanted to know what the hell was going on, so he he went he ran straight from the house and went down Station Road. And you went with him as well. I I followed him afterwards because I was still sort of getting ready myself. And by the time I'd got ready, he was gone. He was he gapped it. Yeah, yeah. And because um, I I ran down the road and I went from. Down Station Road, turned into Bradley Street, which took me on to Corbett Street, and that's where the first roadblock was, right there. Yeah. Bang, and you couldn't get any further for it at all. Yeah. Took me a few minutes to find him, because he had obviously been down a couple of minutes before me, and he'd talking to the police and all that from then on. I'd heard multiple different people say that Gareth had in fact been fired the day of Jordan's murder. If this was the case, I'd imagine it would be something he would have been upset about, and he likely would have mentioned this to Paul that night. And that night when you when you guys had some beers and he'd come home from work, mm. he had a couple of pizzas. Yeah. So he'd been, Jordan had fired him that night. Well, yeah, he'd been fired apparently. Yeah, I don't know exactly whether it was that night or whether he was already aware of it or what. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. so he, you don't recall him coming home and being angry? No, he wasn't angry when he got home. No, just no. normal. Just normal, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so you guys had drinks and then you went to bed eventually and he stayed up. Yeah, he was up for a little bit longer than I was, yeah. Yeah. Did you hear him go to bed? Um, no, not really. I crashed out. I, honestly, I, I went out like a bloody lot. Yeah. <laughs> I really did. I had absolutely no idea what time he would have actually hit, hit the bed. So, you know. in reality, you were asleep. Yeah. After that point, he could have done anything. He could have, yeah, he could have. You know, if he, if he wanted to. Not saying that he, he did. To, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't. I have no idea. This is important. It's important because the time frame doesn't give Gareth an alibi. Witnesses from the funeral home have placed the gunshot at approximately 2am. If Paul went to bed at around 12 and Gareth stayed up, this would allow ample time for Gareth to make his way to Mykonos Pizza and be back in bed by 7 in the morning when they received the knock at the door. If it is true that Gareth was fired that day, this could provide a potential motive, an alcohol fueled retaliation. However, there is the issue of the murder weapon. Where would Gareth find a rifle at that time of the morning? Well, in fact, it turns out Paul had a gun license, and the police were very interested in the location of his firearms. I remember you telling me on the phone about, um, obviously there was something to do with the twenty-two. The police came and... Yeah, that was that was well before that. Um, there was a guy that was... He'd, come into my place and he had a van, you know, and um, he'd got up to no good, 
you know, and he, he had a 22 with him. Um, he'd had that for quite a while, and um, yeah, he went he went to Waihe one night and did a dodgy deal with somebody and got caught by the cops and he gapped it and the police had the had the gun in the evidence locker of the police station at the time of the murder. So it obviously it definitely was not that gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, so But at some point the police they sort of you you had to tell them that basically, didn't you? Yeah. They thought you still had it or something. Yeah, well, yeah, they they asked me where where it was because they'd heard 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 about us going over and shooting these roosters <laughs> that weren't supposed to be in town. So we we did a quick shoot of them, you know, like yeah. got rid of them, and then that was it, you know. And um, so they heard about it, and I just I just said to them, I said, well, the the gun you're looking for that was here is now in your lockup on another case on a different case altogether. Yeah. So um. Yeah. yeah. And, and there were no other guns at all in the house or No. Nothing like that. No, no, I'd 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 got rid of all mine. I had a gun cabinet, but yeah. that was about it, you know. I still had my gun license, but I'd I'd got rid of mine a long time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. Mintmobile. slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. I'm go. Just to clarify. The .22 calibre rifle that Paul and his friend had used to shoot the roosters had been confiscated and was in fact in the police lockup at the time of Jordan's death, so could not have been the murder weapon. At the time, Paul did have his gun licence, however, owned no guns, and in fact only had an empty gun cabinet. So if we trust what Paul is saying, and I do, Gareth couldn't have got a rifle from Paul's that night. If he were responsible he would have had to acquire the rifle some other way. Still technically possible, but much more difficult within the time frame. I asked Paul how he met Gareth and how he ended up living with him. How, how did you meet Gareth? How did he end up? Was it your house and then he flattered with you sort of thing? or did It you... was just through word of mouth through a friend that I actually met him because he was looking for a place to stay, you know. And um, so... Yeah, I, that that was how I met him. It was just, just I can't even remember who it was that introduced me to him. To be quite honest, um, so um, but we had a bit of a talk, and he seemed like a nice enough guy at the time. So yeah, I had a spare room, so I let him stay. And, and how long was was he living with you for? Oh, probably probably about three months or so, something like that. Okay. Yeah. And in the time he was living with you, did he did he sort of have many friends or anything down this way? No. 
No one coming around? No, no, only the people that he knew in town, you know. Um, but no one else that I, you know, I've never seen anybody else come down at all. Yeah. Who did he know in town? Um, well, he was quite, you know, he was quite savvy with computers and stuff like that, so there was, a, there was some guys that were doing, had a computer shop in town, so he, he knew them and, um, just other random people, you know, but I, I, I knew some of them, but, um, yeah, all the rest I'd seen around town before, so they were all pretty much locals. Who Gareth knew in town was important to me. It not only gives an indication of the type of person Gareth might be, but it could also provide potential new suspects. If Gareth himself didn't shoot Jordan, is it possible someone else he was connected to did? I'm going to take a moment here to jump to a conversation I've had about Gareth with a source who does not wish to be named. These are their words, not their voice. I remember being there to pick Jordan up one day and the blonde guy asked when I was leaving because he was expecting visitors and uh, they aren't the kind of people you want to know. From what I remember, what Jordan told me was the guy who worked for one of his brothers or friends at one stage and was getting himself mixed up in some shit up there, so he brought him down here to get him away from Auckland. He was looked at pretty closely and all of us that knew Jordan well got a bad vibe of him. Police dogs followed a scent from this scene to very close to where this guy lived. Visitors that aren't the kind of people you want to know. It's hard to know exactly what to make of this statement. Firstly, it's very vague and could mean pretty much anything. But objectively, I think it's fair to say that this would imply that these people are either dangerous or involved in activities the average person would think to be out of the norm. Although Paul has said he doesn't specifically recall anyone visiting Gareth that might match this description, this tells us that Gareth likely had acquaintances that had been to Mykonos and were possibly people of ill repute. The comments about Gareth moving to Paidoa because he was getting mixed up in some shit also might point towards him being involved with the wrong crowds. Exactly what mixed up in some shit means is unknown at this point, and I don't want to speculate too much. But collectively, these pieces are helping us paint a picture of this man. The final comment relating to police dogs following a scent from the scene, finishing close to where Gareth lived, is something I haven't been able to verify, but I'm certainly looking into. However, as Gareth only lived a short walk away, it's likely he walked to and from work, meaning his scent would be on that route. So I don't know how relevant this piece of information might be. I asked Paul about what happened after they ran into town that morning, after finding out about Jordan's murder. The morning of Jordan's murder, mm-hmm. he ran down to town. Mm. Then what happened after that? Well, I well, I was trying to get hold of him because I, I asked the police where he was because um, I had his phone. He, he, he took off and left his phone behind, you know, and I said, well, you know, he better have his phone. And... um. I basically seen him, gave him the phone, and he said, got to go, because he had to go and talk to the police, you know. So, and that was pretty much after that. I didn't really see him for the rest of the day at all. Yeah. And then mm. in terms of, um, did he hang around town after that? Yeah, well, he was around for, for a while. Okay. Yeah. So he um, stayed with you still? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. he was he was around for a little while, but... Um, he pretty much shut down quite a bit after that. He didn't really say much to me at all, you know. Okay. No, um... 
Oh, okay. I had heard that he had sort of sort of left town like quite suddenly afterwards. So he actually did hang around for a while. For a little while. It was only for a few days because then, um, like once all the, all the, I, I say, oh, I assume the autopsy and everything, once all that was done and then when Jordan's funeral took place, that's when he took off. And he, I seen him once after that and that was it, gone, Gap, gapped it. He even left, left stuff at my house, you know, like clothing and stuff like that, he just gapped it. <laughs> right, and, you didn't, and then you never saw him again I've after that? I've never seen or heard from him ever since. Oh, and he just left all his stuff at the, at the house. Some of it, yeah. Like he took some with him, but yep. just what he what he couldn't take with him, he left left behind. Where did he go? Do you know? As far as I know, Auckland. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and did he ever make any sort of um, comments about Jordan? You know, like that you might think, oh shit, that's a bit weird to say that. No, no, he never really did. Um, it was always it was always pleasant towards yep. Jordan, you know, when he was talking to me. So like he never never called him, you know, like you know, rotten bastard or something like that, yep. you know. He it was always good. So um, yeah. In case you missed that, Paul said he never recalls Gareth making any negative comments about Jordan. When I asked if he would describe Gareth as an ordinary kind of guy, he said yes. Definitely. I guess what each individual considers ordinary is subjective, so Paul's normal could be somewhat different to yours or mine, but I think we can take from this that he certainly didn't display any violent or worrying behaviour at home. In fact, quite the opposite. Paul recalls that he used to spend a lot of time on his computer, playing games or looking at travel websites, and oftentimes he would use Paul's computer. And because of this, Paul's laptop was actually seized by police. I asked him about the experience of his home and contents being searched and held by police. Tell me about sort of the police questioning you mm. and that sort of process. That must have been a bit of a crazy experience. Oh, it sure was. Um, yeah, I was I was interviewed well, a couple of times, two or three times, um, just over different things. Um, they had my laptop. They had my took my computer. Oh, they, they, had, they had that for over six months. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, and I mean, they searched my house a couple of times. They went, went went through the whole house, the whole section. They even had metal detectors, everything. Well, wow. Yeah. Just looking for any, any sign of any evidence or anything like that. And, um, yeah, it was, it was quite surprising for me because, like, literally I'd gone down the road one day in the car and I got back... And I couldn't get in my driveway for police cars on my front lawn and in my driveway, and they, there was heaps of them. They were everywhere, detectives and and no uniform. warning, no warning, no warning. They just turned up, boom. <laughs> and what did they do? They show you a warrant or something? Yeah, they, they they gave me a warrant. Yeah, yeah. And I just I just said, yep, sweet as, go and have a look. Gave them keys to everything. Gave them the keys to the gun cabinet. Everything. My yeah. shed. Just gave them an open book, but they they actually took me away from the house while they were doing it. They took me out to the police station, questioning me, yeah, and asking me all these different questions and stuff like that. So about Gareth or just just everything, yeah, pretty much, yeah. You know, like a lot of it, I sort of I can't really sort of remember because I've, I've I've lost that memory since since my attack, you know. Anyway. Yeah. And um, but 
they were just asking me anything and everything. Yeah. And, and I could only tell them what I knew, it was, and which wasn't a hell of a lot. To be quite honest, I really didn't know. Yeah, well, they they were just asking me all sorts of random stuff, and 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 um, like I know I was being videoed, like I knew it was all being videoed and everything like that. And um, like they even, I even got left in the, in the interview room for about ten, fifteen minutes on my own for quite a while, you know. And I was just, I, I was, I, I was in no panic. I didn't feel you know, pressured or anything like that. They were just genuinely asking me questions. So, um, but, yeah, no, I didn't feel like they were trying to break me or anything like that. At the time, Paul and Gareth lived in a small house on Station Road. This is only a few blocks from Mykonos Pizza and where Jordan was shot. Paul no longer lives there, but I'd like to have a look at the house to get an idea of how far it actually is and the layout of the house itself. So we finished the interview in the car and convoy through the streets of Paidoa. Okay, so we're just pulling up at the house where Paul used to live. Is this it here? I don't know. Now obviously, that's the front door. You've got the lounge. That that was my bedroom, the front one there. Yep. And that was Gareth's bedroom right there, the two back windows there. The house is a very small, two-bedroom, wooden, weatherboard style, built in 1948. It's white with green features, typical of New Zealand houses of this period. There's a small porch at the front and a single garage to the back rear. From where we're standing at the front of the property, there are two sets of windows on the right-hand side. Paul has pointed these out as being his and Gareth's rooms. I was interested in the location of the rooms in the house as to whether Gareth would be able to leave the house without disturbing Paul. So that's his room there. Yep. And then your room was there. Yep. So I guess, so do both of the doors open out onto the lounge yeah, area, the, do they? The, the, mine was into the sort of lounge, and his one was into the kitchen area at the back. Okay. So could he have got out you out his room and out here without you knowing? Oh, I was out, yeah. I wouldn't, yep. I wouldn't have heard a damn thing. So he, yeah. He, he, yeah. Yeah. And from memory, I, I think the police even took, like, fingerprint things on the windowsills and everything like that to check for all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to check in case he jumped out the window. Or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did everything. They, they went over it with a fine-tooth comb, literally. Although it is a small house, it certainly would have been possible for Gareth to leave without Paul being aware. But Gareth's actions the following morning certainly don't indicate someone who is guilty of murder. It's hard to imagine his first reaction would be to run directly to the scene of the crime to speak to police. So that morning, you know, which way did you guys, which way when, did Gareth when, run? When, when we came down, we shot down here. We went straight down here and first left is, is Bradley Street. Yeah. And then on to Corbett Street, and that's where the first roadblock was, right there. So how, how, far do you, how long do you reckon it would take to run that? What, like five, ten minutes? Five minutes? Not even five minutes, probably two minutes. Two minutes, At yeah. speed, you know, like we moved, we, 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 we yeah. weren't slow, we ran. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Gareth's very much similar in height to me anyway, and he could move. Well, he, he seriously took off. I'd, by the time I got out here, I didn't even see him down the, down the road here. He was already around the corner, gone. Did he ever give any idea to you of who he thought might have done it? or Because you must have talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, he, he just seemed as, as baffled about it as, as what we were, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, it was... 
it was really crazy. I wrap up the interview with Paul, and we get back in the car and reflect on what we've heard. Paul had two friends with him who both had different theories on the case, and their demeanour when speaking about it says a lot. It'd be interesting to to get his opinion on his take on, like you know. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a tidy little house. You know the thing that you notice is like they're scared. Like mm. whoever they think did it, no one wants to say they're no. fucking scared. Yeah. Like even that guy, you know, he let's say if he has a name, who he thinks it is, but he doesn't want to say. You know, this this is like. People are worried for their own safety, and she's fucking. She doesn't want to like say anything either. Yeah. And what you know that that tells you one thing that the people they think are involved are obviously either connected with gangs or you know they think could retaliate. Yeah. Um. And you know it's kind of like back in the days with the mafia. You know, um, things don't get solved when people don't want to talk. You know, and you could understand that. They're not going to talk to the police because they're worried about what's going to happen to them. I'm starting to get a sense of deja vu as I move through each step of this investigation. This is another lead where I'm left with so many questions and so little to go on. I've found mixed descriptions in how people have described his personality. On the one hand, he's just a normal guy. Goes to work, comes home uses his computer, goes to bed. Then on the other hand, he gives others bad vibes and apparently hangs out with a crowd that you wouldn't want to meet. I spoke to another reliable source who described Jordan and Gareth's volatile relationship. I asked whether Gareth had in fact been fired that night. These are their words, not their voice. Yeah, he did, but honestly the way he and Jordan argued all the time... He was fired or he quit all the time. They had a really strange relationship. The strange thing was that Jordan was a real straight-up guy. If he didn't like you or something you were doing, he'd ask you to leave right on the spot. So when Gareth turned up and all of a sudden they were arguing all the time and I'm talking screaming and swearing, it was really strange that he let him stay around. This is certainly a bit strange, but doesn't necessarily mean Gareth is guilty of any crime. I've worked in a few kitchens myself growing up, and it's definitely not uncommon for chefs to argue and even throw a few pots and pans around. Chefing is a high-pressure job, and sometimes it comes with the territory. But the fact that Jordan put up with it is hard to understand. I was curious to know how long Jordan had actually known Gareth. What was the connection? So far, no one has been able to give me an exact idea of the extent of their relationship but I did manage to find a post on the Justice for Jordan Facebook group in which Gareth had thanked him for all the years. So this indicates they've known each other for quite some time before he came to Paidoa. He had also shared a few other heartfelt posts and song links, which would point to the fact that despite their arguments, they obviously had a deeper relationship than just chef and boss. By all accounts, Jordan had rescued Gareth from trouble in Auckland, setting him up with a job, helping him get his life back on track. So there must be a bigger story here. The reality is, I need to speak to Gareth. Personally, I'm not a big fan of social media. However, when it comes to investigative journalism, it's a lifesaver. 
I managed to track down Gareth's Facebook account and send him a friend request. Three weeks pass. No response. I figured it's quite possible he doesn't use his account anymore. However, in a last-ditch Hail Mary, I managed to track down the accounts of close family and send out a few messages. Within a day, I had a response from his sister. She wasn't about to give me his details, but I could leave mine, and next time she saw him, she'd let me know. I didn't have high hopes, but I'd done what I could. Then no more than 10 minutes later, the bedroom lit up as my phone vibrated. Sender, Gareth Smith. Message, I hear you want to speak to me about Jordan. Guilt is written, produced and edited by me, Ryan Wolfe. For daily stories and updates on the podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at RyanWolfNZ. Additional voice acting, Jacob Masters and Mirabai Pease. Title track, Jukebox by Patrick Patricios. Opinions of guests of this podcast are just that and are not necessarily views of the podcast itself. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to give it a five-star rating. On the next episode of Guilt, Who Killed Jordan Fedori? No. No, it's not boys. Not at fucking all. That is bullshit. Because Jordan, I hadn't even decided when I was coming back to Auckland yet. I was still looking for work. And Jordan was going to let me stay there as long as that took. So whoever said that is once again full of shit. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.